The Lord be with you. It is good to be back and finally to get to what we wanted to say about Psalm number 3. It seems weeks ago that we started on Psalm number 3. But what I want to get to now and in a couple of weeks to come are some of the great words of this psalm. And the word that overshadows this entire psalm, in fact you could say the psalm is about this one word, and that word is salvation. And we could spend weeks on salvation, maybe we will. Um, but certainly I want to put it in its direct context in Psalm number 3. Now, it was some time ago we talked about it, but very quickly, David wrote this psalm at a very specific moment in his life, and we traced that moment. Um, it, It says at the head of the psalm that he wrote it when he fled from Absalom his son, And we can get a little bit more specific. It was when he went up the Mount of Olives through the area that would a thousand years later be the Garden of Gethsemane. And there at the top of Mount of Olives, looking down upon the city of Jerusalem, there he wrote this psalm. And it's very difficult to put into words where David was at when he wrote this. Although it is very probable that there's a number of you who are listening who know exactly how he felt. It had happened, in terms of the event, it happened in a moment. One hour, everything was fine, and the next hour, his entire life had fallen to pieces. His son, Absalom, had declared himself king, There was civil war, and the people that once loved him and held him in high honor were now marching under the banner of Absalom, son of David, to kill David and to take the throne. He's lost his family. Whatever family there was has been shattered. It's in chaos and he has to flee, and so who's coming with him? A very few people, even those that would have voted for him last month are now wondering, is God really with him? If God is with him, how could all this be happening? And so many of his uh, fair-weather friends stayed behind. He goes with what essentially was a small number, lost his family, lost his friends, and as he leaves the city, he's, he's lost his home, he's lost everything that was in it, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his status, you could say he's lost his job, he's finished, he's homeless. The great David is walking as a refugee down and up the other side of the brook into the trees of the Mount of Olives and on his way as a refugee into the deserts beyond. I mean, how can you put that into words? Though I know some of you know what some of that means. And it was then that he wrote this psalm. 
It's very important to know that the people who wrote these psalms did not write them with lights around their head and fluffy white beards and looking so holy. This man is unshaven, his eyes are bloodshot, he looks like a man with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, And this is what he says and and he says O Lord how my adversaries have increased many are rising up against me many are saying of my soul there is no deliverance for him in God and that word deliverance in the Hebrew language that David wrote in is the word salvation the word salvation is translated by a number of words as we'll see in a moment But that's it. They're saying there's no salvation for him in God. That's how the psalm begins. It begins with all the rumors of what the people are saying. It begins with all that rats gnawing in the basement of your soul saying, that's what they're saying, there's no salvation for you in God. You're a hopeless case. It's impossible. There's no hope for you. That's where it begins. And he's bearing his soul before the Lord and saying, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Then verse 3 begins, but, the divine but, that's what they are saying, that is public opinion, but you, O Lord, that but, and the directing of all his attention upon you, O Lord, and away from public opinion, and away even from how he may be opinionating about himself, He turned directly to the Lord, and there follows the rest of the psalm until verse 8. And he wraps up the psalm with that word again, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so it begins with salvation, with the people saying there's no possibility of salvation for him. And it ends with the triumphant note, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, David does not expound on the word salvation here because he's um, up to his earlobes in the need of it. And so he simply states it out from the rich treasure of what that word meant. I want to go to another psalm which is a, a psalm of celebration where it celebrates salvation and that, that's this psalm, this Psalm 98 is the one I want to go to. And that one, it's got leisurely time. And it can therefore, with its celebration, expound on what salvation is and what it means. And so let me read to you. So put Psalm 3 on hold for a few minutes. Psalm 98. Now he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory. And the victory in the language of the Psalms, Hebrew, is salvation. So he's gained salvation for him, that is for God. The Lord has made known his salvation. Okay, those 
words in two or one and a half verses will enable us to understand what David meant when he used the term salvation. First of all, I want to give a definition. Let me say this, and I know, bless your hearts, some of you are going to raise your eyebrows at what I'm going to say, I do believe. Uh, because <clears throat> over the years, I have conducted a poll. I, I do that sometimes, and people don't realize what's happening. But I, I ask people, what do they understand by certain words and so on? Well, I've asked, wherever I've been, I've asked people, what do you understand by salvation? What is salvation? Um, it's interesting. Uh, when I'm sometimes in, in preaching, I will wear a clerical collar. And when I'm traveling to meetings and I have the clerical collar on, it's quite amusing. Um, you get at airports, uh, persons, God bless them, and I mean that, they, they are so zealous, so enthused. Um, but when they see the clerical collar, they come to me like bees to a honeypot, and their question as they gaze into my face with concern, they say, are you saved? And I, I play along with them. I say, what do, you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, are you saved? And I'm thinking of one specific case, uh, and, and the little girl who was... Uh, trying to get this chap in a clerical collar saved. She, I, I said, what, what do you mean by that? What is it to be saved? And she said, I, I, I won't go to hell. I'll go to heaven when I die. And I said, that, that's what it means to be saved? She said, yes, I go to heaven when I die. I won't go to hell. And, and I said, let's sit down and talk about this. I said, if, if that's all your salvation is, I pity you. I, I've got a much better salvation. I've got a salvation that is happening right in this micro moment. I don't have to wait till death to go to heaven. I am already participating in, partaking of the beginnings of heaven here and now. Salvation is not something that happens after death. Salvation is the entrance into my life of all-powerful, unlimited love to achieve love's mighty end. Poor little girl, I don't think she really got what I was saying, that she went always back to hell. It was, it was pitiful. But... That, that's the point. She actually was articulating what so many in our evangelical world believe, that salvation is an event, period. It happened whenever it happened, whenever you said the sinner's prayer. And thereafter, in fact, that was the first words the pastor told you probably, that you're not going to hell now, you're going to heaven. And, and, and that was it. You, you had said the wonderful words, and now you were called saved, and you wouldn't go to hell. Well, that's pathetic. And it's nothing to do with what the Bible calls salvation. And now, you see, I said, some of you might get upset with me. I believe... I, I, I am saved. I believe in being saved. 
But what I believe about being saved based thoroughly on Scripture is a lot more than something that happens after death. Salvation. If it's all to do with something after death, it's the most remote and irrelevant word in the vocabulary of Christians. What does the word mean? Okay, sit back, because there's a lot to this word, and much of it may surprise you. The word salvation, in both Old and New Testament, it means to be open. Yeah, to be open. That is not closed. It means open. It means a a wide space. Another way would be enlarged. It means, in fact, that I am no longer restricted. I'm not in a narrow place. If you have um, been around us for a while, you will remember we've talked about stress. And the word in the Old Testament for stress or distress is narrow. It's like a canyon pressing in on you. And and it means that it's getting closer and tighter until your shoulders are touching on both sides. And there is, and it's part of the definition of that word, nowhere to turn. You come to a dead end because you're wedged and you cannot turn. That's the meaning of the Hebrew word distress or stress. Well, this word means the opposite, open. The canyons have fallen away. The sky has opened overhead and the birds have begun to sing and you've entered, I quote another psalm where it says, uh, you, you put me into a large place. I have room to turn, I have room to dance, I have room to joy and to pursue the destiny, the purpose. I I, I have room to make my own decisions about life. I'm no longer hemmed in with only one decision, which is to try and wiggle out of this. That's the beginning of the meaning. That when you are in a place where there is no exit, you've discovered that the pathway you're on is a dead end. And there is no way out. Period. You are in an impossible situation. Then you're a candidate for this word salvation. Because it means that now you'll enter into a place of enlargement, but it will be a place of safety. That's part of the meaning of the word. It means you'll enter into a place of security. I mean, that assurance of security, that is unafraid. It means that you'll be free from that which would trap you in that dead-end canyon, it, it, it means that you will have sufficiency. You'll, you'll no longer be in a state of poverty of spirit or poverty of mind and emotions. You, you will be given sufficiency. Salvation. It, it means that you have been avenged. That is, someone has come in 
to save you. Someone has come to take you out of the situation where your enemies were oppressing you. So someone has avenged you. Or another word that's used uh, to describe it is help. Someone has helped you. But mighty bigger word than our modern word help. The word we've already seen, it means you have been delivered out of the hands of your enemies. And now the neat thing is, and um, if if some of you would maybe disagree with this, uh, this is uh, from the greatest scholars in Hebrew and Greek all agree on this, that the word definitely means also physical healing. Salvation is the making whole the bringing of my innermost self out of narrowness and distress. But it also means that my outer, my body, my physical is brought out into a place of enlargement or healing and wholeness. It's very interesting in the New Testament when Jesus healed the sick. Um, the word therefore healed is the same word that is translated elsewhere as saved Um, the famous Philippian jailer in Acts 16 what must I do to be saved well that word saved is the same word that's used in the gospels for healed healed saved is the same word We've made it two words in English, but it's the same word. It is making a person whole. It's taking them out from all their pain and their hurt and their anxiety and the impossibility of their situation out of the darkness and oppression and bringing them into a large place, a place where you can breathe and healing that person from the inside through to the out the totality of human existence. And of course, all of that in the here and now. There's no mention so far, if you've been listening, I haven't mentioned about dying. This is what God does here and now. Um, I've said before, when we were talking about Psalm 3 much earlier on, uh, I said the first time salvation is used in the Bible which many times is important to note, is when the Israelites came out of the wilderness where the cloud had led them, and they stand on the shores of the Red Sea, and behind them now come the SWAT team of Pharaoh to destroy them. If ever there was a dead end with no exit, and if ever they felt that they were being slowly crushed to death, it was at that point. And the word from God was, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's the first time it's used in the Bible. There, it defines it. You are in an impossible situation. There is no way out. No human can help you stand still and see the salvation of God. Stand still and see how God brings you into a large place from this squeezed one you're in. And you cannot imagine where he will take you. You certainly can't imagine how he's going to do it. Nobody, nobody among those Israelites believed within the next half an hour they would be walking 
on the bottom of the Red Sea and singing for joy. No, no, nobody could ever believe that. That's what salvation is. It blows your mind. It, it leaves you speechless. Yeah. It, it's salvation. It's a word of action. It's God doing His love. It, it's a, it's a it's a moving word. It is God coming to actually deliver you. It's God. Yes, saving you from whatever situation you find yourself in. It's God coming and pushing back the narrow canyon walls of your confinement. It's God bringing you to enlargement and freedom to pursue your destiny in Christ. It's, it's, the, it's being brought into a, a place of safety and security and the absence of fear and anxiety. That's the meaning of the word. Now, if we had time, I could spend the next half an hour quoting to you verses that clearly state that God is the Savior. In fact, not the Savior. He's the only Savior. God is the only one who can save. That's very definite in Scripture. And that only is thrown into the face of all the pagan gods, all the pretend gods, imaginary gods, and it's always the challenge, can your God save? Can your God save? Is your God, does your God love you enough to come into your situation on your behalf when you are finished on your face and save you? Is, is that your God? And the message, if I collected all of those texts together, the message is a God who cannot or will not save you is not worthy of being called God or of worship. So this is very close to the center of all things. Our God, God the Father, who is revealed in God the Son, who is present to us and in us in God the Holy Spirit, He loves us to limitless degree and wills and can save us in situations that we call impossible. And of course, right at the heart of that is death, which arises from sin. Sin in terms of its guilt, condemnation. Sin in terms of its power and authority over us. Impossible. No human being can change that situation. And worse yet, we are in darkness of the lie, so we don't even know the extent of the sin, the condemnation, and the power that sin has over us. We're so used to it, we don't know that it's abnormal. In the chaos of human existence slaves to so many kinds of addictions, the anxiety, the angst that runs just below the surface of human beings, that we're alone in the universe. God has moved in and has saved us into life and wholeness, newness of life. 
it's it's the way he is it's the way he is Uh, that is salvation isn't something that God sometimes draws on sometimes does he is he is our salvation you know I've said this when we've talked about love God doesn't have any love he is it we could go through all the attributes of God that's who he is and he therefore can be no other for all that God is he always is and therefore salvation is the way God is so salvation please hear this salvation is not subjective that is it's it's not how I feel today salvation doesn't depend upon my feelings it doesn't depend upon any reports that my senses bring to me none of that has anything to do with it salvation is ultimate objective reality that is God is savior God has saved whether I feel like it or not whether it seems like it or not that's who he is and to that he has promised with covenant blood and oath that he is our savior in every situation of life and to the extent that God who is salvation that is the expression of his love that is the way he is to step into your canyon and rescue you so is that the pinnacle of God's purpose in our life is that salvation became flesh entered into our human existence with a genuine humanity an authentic human being hear me again salvation because salvation is the way God is then salvation is personal and person of God the Son joined our humanity he is salvation do you get that salvation is no longer an abstract word that describes something God does salvation full word everything I've been trying to say salvation became flesh an authentic human being and they called him salvation we, we totally miss this because there's no correlation in English but this word I've been talking about salvation in the Hebrew language and of course Jesus was born a Hebrew he was born a Jew and therefore his name was a Hebrew name and that name in Hebrew is Yeshua so Jesus is the anglicized Yeshua Yeshua is the name that Mary called him Yeshua was the name they knew him by in the Gospels the Hebrew name Jesus is Yeshua sort of transliterated into our English tongue Yeshua 
Well, the word that I've been talking about in the Hebrew language here, the word is Yeshua. Uh, This, you know, um, uh, Psalm 98, the, the singing to the Lord a new song. The Lord has made known his salvation. In the Hebrew language, the Lord has made known his Yeshua. Uh, or if we anglicized it, it would be the Lord has made known his Jesus. Do you get that? And when the people mocked David, they were saying there is no Yeshua for him in God. There's no Jesus left for him. This, do you see why I say this overarches the entire Bible? This word is at the very heartbeat center of who God is and what he's done. God's salvation, Yeshua, became flesh and they called him Yeshua. So that when the angel came and said, you shall call his name Jesus, which of course the angel actually said, you shall call his name Yeshua. Why? Do you remember? The angel went on. You shall call him Yeshua for he shall save his people from their sins. You will call him salvation because that's what he's going to do. He's going to save. And you remember old Simeon in the temple and when the the baby in the arms of Mary the, the young couple jostled by the crowd and suddenly find themselves in front of this old chap Simeon and, and Simeon looks at the child and says mine eyes have seen your Yeshua of course we translate that mine eyes have seen your salvation but he had seen Yeshua and the baby who was the Yeshua of us all was called Yeshua. Okay. If you don't get that, I'll have to move on. But all his ministry was about saving. He saved when he healed. And sometimes it comes out, what was it, the woman with the the blood issue, um, he said, your faith has saved you. That word in the Greek is sozo, and sozo is the same as Yeshua in Hebrew, and it means healing, it means salvation in every one of its ways. It means deliverance, it means being brought out of your anxiety of a no-exit impossible situation. Yeshua, or Greek sozo, your faith has saved you, you see. Um, they, They called upon him to save them from the storm. And it's the same word. And that word, which he is, and therefore characterizes all that he did, comes to its finale in the cross, and his blood shedding, and in his resurrection, therein is Yeshua. There is sozo, there is salvation. He has brought us out from the domain of darkness into the new creation of being participators in his life. In fact, when he summed up his ministry... When they questioned him, he summed up his ministry saying, the Son of Man is come to seek 
and to save Yahshua or Sozo that which is lost. He said, that sums up my entire ministry. And that is what Psalm 3 is all about. The God who comes into my situation, the one that I find myself in right now, that's a posted sign, no exit. In fact, a further sign that says, death beyond this point. And he comes and he does what my brain can never take in. How did he do it? How did he achieve it? That's Yeshua, salvation. He comes when we are at the end of our rope in terms of our spirit, our essential core selves. He comes to us when our mind has gone into paralysis, when our emotions are in chaos, when our bodies are sick and there's no real help, when our life situation like David is, we there's nowhere to turn. I mean, put it all together, put it together. The, the, the situation in life of anxiety, where however it shows itself. And that's the word, salvation. Now, in Psalm 98, and that's, this is why I want to look at these verses in Psalm 98, they give us a, uh, just further insights into this word. He says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things, and he's gained for himself salvation. Okay. First of all, he associates salvation with a new song. New song. That is a song that has never been sung before. Okay? It's, it's never been sung before. This is a new song. It's new words. It's a new melody. It's a new song. It's a fresh song. And it arises out of the fact that God has achieved salvation for himself. Well, you can take that in more than one way. The first, you could say that that psalm is a prophetic psalm. It is looking forward to the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And the psalmist is saying, sing a new song. A new song? Yes, the song of the Lamb. The song of the God incarnate. We've never seen this before. We've never dreamt of this before. Sing to the Lord a new song of God entering into our humanity to share our humanness that we might share in His resurrection life and join Him in the heavenly dimension here and now of fellowship with the Father. That's a new song. Never been sung until Jesus rose again. But also, and I would emphasize this one tonight, it's, it's a new song because it's a new application of salvation. See, this is where many of my friends don't get this. Because to them, they were saved, what, you know, April the 10th, 1999. 
That's it. They were saved. They don't understand that salvation is this umbrella word. It's this all-encompassing word that describes the love action, the love initiative of God coming into our lives when there's nowhere to turn. And believe me, that's not only my salvation from sin and its power and and condemnation and the darkness of that, but everything that is around us in a world that still lives in rebellion, uh, a world that still experiences the pressures of the evil one, and we walk in that world with salvation, and that will be made manifest in our lives on a number of occasions. So, yes, there was a day I entered into salvation. I I saw that that's the way God is, and I saw that in the face of Yeshua, Jesus. But entering into that means as I walk through life, there will be expressions and manifestations of that salvation Yeah, in my innermost person, but also in my mind and emotions, in my body, and in my life happenings, salvation, there will be a new song. You'll sing a song of salvation, praise to God that you've never sung before. You follow me? This manifestation of salvation in your innermost person in, in, in an enlargement of mind in a bringing of wholeness to your emotions in bringing healing to your body in bringing healing and wholeness to your life situation your job and your home and the I would say as we go through life, it's like turning the facets of a diamond. And we see so many different facets of salvation, and each one demands a new song. So, Jeremiah, sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem in the book of Lamentations, he said, new every morning, and and begins to sing of God's loving kindness, and sing of new expressions of grace. Or Psalm 90, where he, he says, Satisfy us with your loving kindness in the morning. He says, As I wake, I, I awake to such newness. Songs I've never sung before. You, you see what I mean? What God revealed in you, to you, of himself today... It's very possible you've never seen that before. There's never been a situation in your life that has demanded God act in that fashion. And so it's time for a new song about an old subject. We never stop singing of salvation, but salvation in a way we've never dreamed of before as he moves into our life. In fact, it says here... um, He's done a wonderful thing. Salvation is described as a wonderful thing. Uh, That's a one. That's a wonderful word. Um, It could be translated as 
marvelous, which you will find in other parts of the Bible. Uh, it's got the idea of fresh. It's got the idea of surprising. It's that which is unexpected. It is a wonder. It is a marvel. And right there at the heart of this word in the Hebrew language is that it is something that is too hard or impossible for a human to accomplish. You you understand? A thing you'll read of in the Bible as marvelous, wonderful, you'll actually read, like in Genesis 18, when they were talking of the birth of Isaac to the old crone Sarah, who was decades past childbearing, and the, the response was, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's this word that was used. You could translate that, is anything too marvelous for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful, too hard? That is, you see, you're back again. The narrow canyon, no exit. We're going down. And there's no human that can get me out of this. It's too hard for a human to figure out of this. It's impossible. And into this definition of salvation comes this word. (laughs) Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's the God of marvels. He's the God of wonders. He delights in doing the impossible. So by the time we get to the New Testament, Paul prays that for, for him who acts beyond our wildest dreams, beyond all our imaginations. That's God. So if a thing is possible for you to get out of, it's not marvelous. It's not this. You can't use this word. This word is reserved for God. He does what no human being can do. And when he does that, we respond with marvelous, wonderful. He's the God of possible. And that God is the God who reveals his marvels most of all in salvation doing in us and through us and for us what no human can do in and of themselves. But this is, this is fascinating. It says, his right hand and his holy arm, that's um, a Hebrewism for power. My power is in my right arm. So that, that's all that that means. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory or salvation, that's the same word there, Gain salvation for him, for God. Now, now, hold, hold it. Uh, he, he wins or gains salvation for himself. Um, I thought salvation was for us. I thought it was all about us. No, it says here, he saves us in all the various situations of life for himself. Hmm. You see, creation, the fact that God is creator, 
means that he took the initiative to create. We didn't ask him, nobody forced him, creation. The world around us, you and I, we spring out of the love initiative of God, out of his wisdom, out of his goodness. We're here because he chose we should be here. His initiative. So he takes it upon himself. He takes the initiative and responsibility to remove evil and reveal who he really is over against the lie that evil says of him and to bring about his purpose in creation. He takes that on himself. And therefore, when he rises against evil and defeats it, even though it is in the shedding of the blood of God the Son, therein, says John chapter 12, is the Father glorified, and there is the Son glorified, that is glorified. There, there we see the honor of God. There we see really who He is. He created and he takes it on himself to remove the evil and to bring about his purpose in us. He takes it on himself. That's fascinating. He loves us, but that love is not the whim and fickle emotion. Here today and gone tomorrow, his love for us is bound up in who he is, bound up in his honor he loves us, and it's a real love that delights over us, but it's a love that is a love of strong choice, and choice that will go to death through resurrection for us. This is brought out in other places in the Bible where it says he does this or that for his namesake. See, he doesn't do these things in our life for our namesake. You know what I mean? Malcolm, the name. Well, I, attached to that name is my history. Attached to that name is my achievements, but also all my screwed upness and all my mistakes. It's all in my name. That's me. And too often we come to God presenting our name as if he really ought to do something for a chap like me. Or the reverse of that, which is many times the case, that we, we daren't come to him, we don't, because we know he'd never do anything for a chap like me. And so my name can be used with religious pride or it can also be used with religious unworth, hanged dog, hide, beat your breast and say I'm guilty, I'm guilty. But the truth is God's action in your life has nothing to do with your name. It's to do with his name. It's not because of who you are but because of who he is. 
If you can get a hold of that, God loves you, God works in your life, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. It's not because of what you've done, it's because of what He's done in Jesus Christ and what the Holy Spirit is now doing in your life. This is a fantastic text. He has won salvation for Himself. That is, you and I become his trophy. You and I are his gold medal. He won the race. And that winning is expressed in us. That means we rest in who he is. We rest in what he has done. And salvation in all its applications is us, is ours. And his arm, as I say, his power, his power, which is his love power, has achieved that. He's achieved it. And he who began that in you, he will continue that. You know, I I ache for those persons who go to what they call church every week in order to be talked out of their salvation and talked into getting saved again and again as if this is some event that you've got to do something to keep. It's not an event, it's not a thing, it's not some insurance program that you keep in the top drawer and hope you don't lose it. Salvation is the way God is. Salvation is Jesus and he comes to you in his initiative to save. It's his arm. It's his honor. It's his glory. He saves you. You, you could go to Luke 15. You remember the story of the lost sheep and coin. Well, really, you know, we talk so much about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Fact is, those parables are about the love honor of the shepherd I mean you could say why why did the shepherd go for the sheep because he's a shepherd and because he has the honor of being a shepherd and it's his honor to risk his life to save the sheep and because he's a shepherd with honor he knows the value of the sheep and will not let it go because he's a shepherd and he will come back holding his head high because he has found his sheep that was lost the father why does the father run to the son and obviously forgive him and smother him with kisses and take the reproach of the village on himself why why does he do that because he's the father of the son and it's his honor it's his glory to forgive his son and declare him to be his son and to welcome him back with celebration because he knows it's his son you you know what I'm saying don't you stop sweating 
Stop trying so hard to get God's attention. You have his unlimited attention. His love is around you whether you feel him or not right now. For salvation, I say again, is not subjective, but it's the objective reality that you were included into Christ in his death and burial. You were raised with Christ. You were ascended with him. And you are now at home inside the Holy Trinity. That's fact. And faith says, Amen. It says it right here. His right hand, his only harm, have gained him the victory. And he's made known this salvation. Made known. You know that word know. It's the word of intimate knowledge. Knowledge firsthand. Knowledge by personal observation, not by hearsay. It's it's the word that describes ultimate union, the word used for marriage union. That's eternal life, which of course that's another word that's been lost altogether to many in the 21st century. Eternal life doesn't mean living forever, though you will, but the words eternal life means union with the life, God life. So it says, Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you might know the Father. Know this word here. Know, be united with, know by personal observation, know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, to know him. And and, and so he's made known. We, We know this Yeshua, We know his salvation by personal observation. Now, all of this, or everything I've said, the people in Psalm number 3, as David is now drowning in civil war and there's a price on his head and he's fled and he's lost everything, and the people said there's no Yeshua for him in God. Well, now, isn't that interesting? Talk about an ignorant bunch of public opinion. Because what they were actually describing was the definition of salvation. You remember, salvation is when you are in an impossible place. When the canyon walls are touching you on both sides. When the sign says no exit ahead. You are trapped and cannot get out. The people, when they saw David in that situation, said, oh, that's too far. There's no hope for him. I mean, he... Yeah, I mean, we, we believe God can help you, but not this. This is too much. Yet you follow me? When the people wrote over David's life, impossible. When they said, no way out. You might as well write his obituary now. It's over. Hey, That's the very soil in which salvation grows. That's the arena when salvation turns up and is revealed. That sounds very much like the Red Sea to me. 
they, they were so off that they were saying his situation is impossible and some of them remembered the sordid affair with Bathsheba and were muttering that he's not worthy but in so doing they were saying he's in the perfect arena for salvation look there are some of you listening to me today and you are in this situation and I, I know I'm, I know that where, where this is aired around the world some of you have lost everything some of you had a home this time last week and this week is washed away others of you you had a family and it's gone into spiral and chaos and it's I could keep going you know what I mean some of you had a job some of you were CEOs of a company and today you're slinging hamburgers because you lost everything some of you had an money stashed away for old age and overnight it disappeared yeah, you see what I mean let's bring this word down where it belongs not to some heaven when you die look that, that can take care of itself that's the glorious PS of this life so this word is dealing with you right now he has delivered you from sin he has delivered you out of the hands of the enemy and that trickles down into every situation of life and I call upon all to what shall I say to turn your attention away from the situation of the canyon and the no exit sign stop looking at it because looking at it will not make it go away it will only make it get bigger and crush you more look directly to him who is outside and beyond all the definitions that your senses give to your situation look to him who is Yeshua and lean into his love power that's what David did he begins to give praise he says but you, but you, but you and don't say well it wasn't as bad for David it couldn't get any worse for David if you were talking about emotions and feelings it couldn't be any worse and he screamed a but and then began to give a litany of salvation's expression you are my shield you are my glory you are the lifter of my head ending up by declaring salvation belongs to the Lord it doesn't belong to my opinion of myself it doesn't belong to people's opinion of me it belongs to the Lord and he specializes in doing things that are too hard that are wonderful, are marvelous he specializes in producing a new song of something he's never done for you before adding something to the dictionary definition of what salvation is and having done that in Psalm 3 David said I went to sleep now you shouldn't do that David you should stay up all night and worry or, or, or be depressed or, or be in a morbid funk no there is a you really can't explain it 
Paul called it which passes human understanding. And that's about it, really. It's carefree. It's frighteningly carefree. Go to sleep? When you've got a nation rising against you and your own son just bloodlusting to put a dagger through your heart? You, you go to sleep? And he said, yes, I went to sleep. And I woke, for the Lord sustained me. This man has moved into a dimension that in itself is salvation. He's moved beyond all the canyons of impossible into a large place. And it will take some time after the writing of this psalm before salvation was expressed in physical and he was back on his throne and everything was restored. And I can't outline life. I don't know how he will work in your life, but this I assure you, that he whose name is Yeshua, who is salvation, is not a one-time event, nor is that event related to some Disney world in the sky, but rather salvation is being unfolded into our life, sometimes throughout a week, sometimes throughout a month, sometimes throughout a year, I don't know. All I know is that when the moment comes and I face the impossible, I step into him whose name is possible, whose name is marvelous, whose name is wonderful, whose name is salvation, Yeshua. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, we have taken that, you see, and dumped it at the beginning of the Christian life and said, that's it. No, it means wherever I find myself in my Christian life and I'm in a corner that I cannot get out of, where the enemy is about to throw the celebration party and he steps in, I call on his name, call on his name, you see, his honor, his glory. And he says, you shall be saved. He will step in and work out his solution. We shall return to Psalm 3 next week. There's a lot more there, believe it or not. And um, look at some other word that takes us even deeper into this incredible salvation. And now the God who is unconditional, all-powerful love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, bless you and cause your eyes to be open to see the God of your salvation in this, your present moment of life. For this moment is the arena in which his salvation is displayed. Amen.